So a couple summers ago, Janelle and I got blessed to go to um, Cancun. And we went to this hotel, and as soon as we got there at like dinner time, as soon as we got there, we were checking in, and they were like, do you want a free couple's massage? We were like, well, yeah, of course we do. And they were like, okay, all you got to do is we'll fill this out. You just show up at breakfast, take a little tour of the hotel, and, and everybody's like, uh-oh. Take a little tour of the hotel and, and free breakfast. No pressure at all. Zero pressure. So we're like, okay. And we went through that night. We haven't even, keep in mind, we haven't even seen the place. We take, eat breakfast. This sweet little lady was like getting to know us. We're sharing our life with her, our kids. And, you know, she just had this perfect personality. She t- takes us on the tour. And then she took us to the room. You know the room? popping champagne because someone's signing on the dotted line for a timeshare or RCI or whatever. And I'm not trying to bring conviction on anybody who's ever made the mistake of buying a timeshare. Um, But so we're there and the lady shows us prices and here's what you can do, blah, blah, blah. And we look at each other and seems maybe doable. Like, We had already told each other, we are not buying diddly, okay? We want our free couples massage, and we're moving on. Stay strong. And, but we were cracking a little bit. And next thing you know, she brought out this lady from, she was French-Canadian. She was the greatest salesman in the history of sales. And she slid some numbers across the table we looked at the numbers, and I went, she was like, no, go ahead, sign. <laughs> I'm not ready to sign. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Janelle was like, well, maybe this, this kind of seems cool. Like, we like to go get out of town. Kids are grown. I said, no. I said, can you leave us alone for just a second? And she knew something was up. So she left, and I told Janelle, we're getting sucked in. What, did we eat a lotus flower here? What happened? Like... <laughs> And uh, did they sneak that in our water? And then we said, no, we're not doing it. Well, she came back and we said, no, we're not going to be able to do it. And she was mad like, and frustrated with us and kept pushing and kept pushing. It's such a great deal. It's such a great deal. And I said, no, we don't want to do it. Can we still have our free couples massage? <laughs> and begrudgingly, she allowed us to still have that. But she was mad. Well, we were tempted. We had a... We were on the same page, no way are we buying a timeshare, but then the temptation came and it seemed so good. We had a revelation. We haven't even seen the place. How do we know if it's even good or not? So all that to say, we're in a series called Let There Be Light, and we're looking at this conflict between light and darkness, and we looked at the history of it, and we're asking a question each week about what does the scriptures teach about certain things? And why is there darkness? Who's in charge? Um, who or what is Satan? Who are the angels? And then Kristen did an incredible job last week on how to, how to fight a battle in a war that's been won. So um, today we're going to ask the question and answer, did the devil make me do it? You've all seen shows or whatever where Somebody's being tempted to do something. They got a good angel on one side and a bad angel on the other. And there's this temptation wavering. Did the devil make me do it or not? Well, when you start talking about sin, 
you start talking about temptation, it's not easy because we all struggle with it, right? We all get tempted in some way and we all fail. And so then it can feel like you're either in this message being judged or maybe it's easy to start judging somebody else in in their failures. And none of that is what God is about this morning. This is about us growing in Jesus. Each week we're looking at the reality that Jesus has been victorious over the darkness in every way. He defeated our our enemies of sin, death, and the evil one. John 10.10, Jesus said that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. The devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come that you have life and life abundantly. We're going to focus on that. In uh, Genesis 3, the very first temptation of human beings, Adam and Eve, in the garden. We're going to look at that and let that be kind of our our, uh, trampoline into the message today. So Genesis 3, beginning in verse 1. God had just created the heavens and the earth, called it good, created Adam and Eve. And it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. In this passage, death enters into humanity. Death enters into the human experience because of sin. Sin brings death, we're told. But the beauty of this, as we look at the subject of temptation, did the devil make me do it? You got to remember that we are doing life as followers of Jesus from a place of victory. His victory. We're, We're fighting a battle from a place of victory. Jesus, when he came, he came in a mortal body into this mortal broken world, this mortal broken thing called humanity, and he undid the work of Adam in his life, death, and resurrection. Never forget that. That is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus defeated sin, death, and the evil one. That's the good news. So how do we do this from a a place of, 
of victory. Well, let's, de- let's define temptation. Temptation is to be enticed or allured to do something unwise, wrong, or immoral. And I would add, more importantly, to do something that's unloving. The essence of sin is a failure to trust God and believe God and love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then a failure to love people, a failure to love our neighbor as ourself. That's kind of the, the crux of what sin really is. And when it comes to, to temptation, because temptation precedes sin, when it comes to temptation, we need to anticipate it. You ever get caught off guard when you're tempted? I know I do. And we don't anticipate it. We, 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 temptation shows up and we're in shock. Like, how in the world did I think that? Anybody ever have that thought? How in the world did I think that? And then you feel guilty. But you haven't even done anything. It just a thought came into your mind. We get frustrated. We get discouraged. I hear it all the time from people. I can't change. I can't seem to change. I can't believe that I did it again. When I promised everybody and myself and God, I'll never do it again, I did it again. That's what Romans 7 is all about and what Kristen did such a great job teaching last week, that struggle. So let's understand a few things about temptation. Let's look at some facts about temptation. Temptation's roots come from questioning God's word, God's character, and God's authority. That's what happened in the garden. Did God really say, come on? And she answers rightly and says, he did say. We can have all the trees, but he's reserved this one. He said, don't eat from it. If you do, you'll die. Did God say, well, okay, he did say that, but he's holding out on you. He knows that you'll be like him, and he's he's afraid of you eating that. So there's this enticing, does God really care? Is God really good? That's always at the root of temptation. Did God say, and is he really good? Does he really know what's best? Neil Anderson said, the essence of temptation is the invitation to live independently of God. Temptation, we're tempted to live independently of God when we're tempted to do whatever it is. A couple Saturdays ago, we were at our men's core breakfast, and Rick Stricker asked the question to our men that morning, what would you tell your 18-year-old self that you know about God now? It was most of the people were well over 18 years old. What would you go back and tell your 18-year-old self about God? And I immediately thought, man, if I could go back to 18-year-old Scott Applegate, I would grab him by the shoulders and say, dude, God knows what's best, and He loves you, and He's good. And whenever He tells you to do something or not to do it, He has your best interest at heart. That's what I would have told my 18-year-old self. That would have saved me a lot of heartache the next several years through that. So secondly then, temptation comes from Satan. It comes from Satan. In Matthew 4, verses 3, and 1 Thessalonians 3 and 5, he's actually called the tempter. That's one of the titles of the devil, of Satan, is he is the tempter. And so when God gives you and I an idea, we call that inspiration. When the devil gives you an idea, that's called temptation. 
And they, they both come subtly. And do you, you, you'll know when it's from God. You'll know when it's from the evil one. You're tempted to do something that you know is unloving or not good for you or somebody, or somebody else. But what happens is the devil teases us with temptation. He teases sin out of us. He'll say things like, go ahead. No one's looking. Go ahead. Who's it going to harm? Go ahead. You're lonely. Go ahead. You're angry. You have a right to be angry. Blow up on that person. Do it. And he's whispering in our ear. And we're being tempted. He does it subtly. And then when we give in to that temptation, bam, he brings the law out. He says, oh, you're a sinner. I thought you were a Christian, blah, 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 and then starts condemning us with the law. He teases it out subtly. It's not a big deal. Come on. And then when you fall into it, hammer time. Hammer time in the bad way. <laughs> um, as soon as we take the bait, he does that. So I'm going to refer for a moment to um, that great theologian, SpongeBob. You've heard of him? <laughs> Incredible theologian. Actually, one particular show, there was it was it was the garden at, at its best, the temptation in the garden. And so SpongeBob comes down in the water, and he sees all these hooks with cheese on it, and he's kind of leery of it. And Patrick Starfish, you know, his buddy, he's like swinging on the fish hooks and doing cartwheels. He got mouthful of cheese. He's not getting caught at all. And he thinks he's just at the carnival getting free cheese. And, and SpongeBob goes, Patrick, don't you remember what they told us? If we, this is dangerous down here. <laughs> you can put the picture up for me. And he said, does this look dangerous to you? <laughs> I want you to think about that. Next time you hear the little whisper, it's no big deal. It's not dangerous. You're not hurting anybody. How about 19 fish hooks in your mouth ready to say, does this look dangerous to you? <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. You can take that off. Thank you. <laughs> Leave it, that. that. Um, so did the devil make me do it? Did the, does the devil make you do it? No, but he does tempt you to do it. That's what we're focusing on. He is the tempter. Thirdly, temptation in itself is not a sin. Temptation in itself is not a sin. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin. Jesus experienced every temptation that you and I have experienced, and yet he never sinned. And sometimes I think we put Jesus in this well, he's perfect. Of course he didn't sin. I can't live up to that. Don't, don't succumb to that. Jesus entered into our world, so he didn't, he didn't come as Superman. He came in the flesh, like us, into our mortality. C.S. Lewis said, Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows what temptation really means. That's deep. He's the only one to experience temptation and not cave into it, like, like we often do. So, sometimes we think, as I said earlier, when sin comes into our mind, 
or we get a feeling that, some, that somehow that means we're guilty. Listen, sin is only real when it's acted out. You, you, it starts in the mind, and we get this thought. We can pull those thoughts down. We don't have to obey every feeling or every thought that comes into our mind. That's the process of maturity, is saying no to that. Sin is not being tempted. It's giving in to the temptation. And then fourthly, temptation comes at us in various forms. You figured that one out? 1 John 2, 16 and 17, he says, Don't love the world or the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He says, don't love that. That's what the world's about, this selfish gain. It's all about more. The lust of the eyes is, I don't have enough, I need more. The flesh just wants what it wants. It has its own desires, and it's going to get its needs met unless we step in and say, no, I'm not giving in to that and learning to walk in the Spirit. And I think all of us have different weak points. Like what might be your struggle might not be the person next to you's struggle. We all are tempted in different ways when it comes to, to temptation and sin. And I think sometimes... The, an, a various form that temptation comes in, not only the temptation to do something wrong, but to avoid do, doing something that's good. The good that we know to do that we don't do, we're tempted not to do that. I'm too busy. I'm inconvenienced. I don't have time to help. And so that, there's a temptation that comes within that as well. And then temptation never comes from God. Remember this, temptation never comes from God, but from our internal battle. James talks about how don't, when you're tempted, don't ever say that God is tempting me because God doesn't tempt people. Temptation comes from that inner battle, that inner desire to have my way, to not do things God's way, to live independently of God in what, he, what I know he's telling me to do or not to do. I think there's a big difference between temptation and going through trials and testing. I think I have a case biblically for that, that James says in chapter 1 that that consider it joy when you go through trials and, and, and struggles, that God is going to mature you as you persevere through those trials and struggles and faith. Temptation is meant for our destruction. The evil one, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his, that's his goal. But we've got to take responsibility when we're tempted. We've got to take responsibility when we fail. One of the biggest things that we do is avoid taking responsibility when we blow it. Being quick to repentance, quick to, man, Lord, I blew that. Or to your, to your wife or to your husband or your kids, hey, I blew that. I'm sorry. Quick repentance. We, you know, the Scripture tells us over and over to judge ourselves. We don't have to wait for God that we can judge ourselves. Just the way a doctor judges you as a patient when you come in and says, hey, your health needs help here, here, and here. That's Jesus as judge is, is a loving, you know, assessing our health. Let him assess your health. It's helpful for us. And then temptation will not be outgrown this side of eternity. That's a bummer, huh? <laughs> That is one of the things I'm looking forward to other than being face-to-face with Jesus is the inability to sin in the life to come. Not having to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, man. And I don't mean that like I don't like saying sorry, just hurting people.
people and doing stupid stuff. But think about Paul's words in Romans 7. He talked about the struggle, the things that I, I know I'm supposed to do. I don't do the things I'm not supposed to do. I find myself doing who will rescue me from this life of sin. Thanks be to Jesus who always gives us the victory. Again, we are battling from a place of victory. The harder we try in ourselves, the bigger the struggle. In that chapter, in Romans 7, Paul says that the law arouses the sinful nature. That word arouse is interesting. It arouses our sinful nature, the, de- the, the wrong desires. The more I focus on do's and don'ts and can I do this or can I not do this, the more I want to do it. Can you relate? Try going on a diet. Try saying you're not going to have sugar for two months. The first week, all you want is sugar. It's all you think about. You dream about it. This was made true to me um, years ago, and many of you have already heard this story, but for the sake of people who haven't heard this, it was such a perfect illustration in my life personally. 20-something years ago, standing on top of the Eiffel Tower, beautiful, look at Paris, gay Paris, right in front of my eyes. And then all of a sudden I saw this sign out of the corner of my eye, and it said, no spitting. I didn't even thought about spitting. Now I want to spit, though, more than you can imagine. And I was in this battle like... Is anybody looking? Or my, I was a high school pastor. Any of them looking? I let one go. I did. I wasn't even thinking about spitting. It was fun watching it fly all the way down. It's like a bomb going off when it hit the ground. The law arouses the sinful nature. When we're told we can't do something or we have to do something, I don't want to do that. Or I really want to do that now. How do we overcome temptation? Let's make this practical. How do we overcome temptation? Willpower doesn't work. You figured that one out? We need real power. We need His power. First thing I would say is I need to take a humble approach towards temptation. I need to take a humble approach to temptation. That's number one. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Even if you think you can stand up to temptation, be careful not to fall. It's easy to judge someone else's weakness, right? Especially when we're strong in that area. We feel strong. We got our own weaknesses. It's easy to judge. It's easy when things are going good, look out. That's when temptation's crouching at the door. I remember years ago, a famous pastor, mega church pastor, um, had been living a double life. And, and I'm sure his temptation and failures came subtly like, you deserve it, you're tired, blah, 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 blah. And I remember when the allegations came out and the reporters came to his car door with his wife sitting shotgun and his kids in the back. They said, hey, you, what about these allegations? Are they true? And he was just deer in the headlights, like, oh my gosh, my world is just falling apart. I'm in big, big trouble. My heart went out to him. It made me think of when Jesus was on the cross and people were hurling their insults with him, at him. And 
you know, crucify him, give us Barabbas, blah, blah, blah. And what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And I think sometimes people who, when we make mistakes of a grave nature, in that moment, wanting to be satisfied, have some desire illicitly met, if we could see into the future the consequences of that, I think we might not do it. I think that that pastor might not have been involved where he's at if he could see the consequences. Now listen, God's all sovereign, merciful, forgiving. The man repented, has moved on, and been restored over time. And thank God, that's the way it's supposed to be. God can work all things for, for good, even our, our failures. But we don't want to be blindsided by temptation. We need to anticipate it, that it's going to be part of our day. If we don't stay humble about temptation, it's easy to get blindsided. Second thing in overcoming temptation is I need to talk to a trusted friend about my temptation. I need to talk to a trusted friend about my temptation. Bring, when you do that, you're bringing it into the light. You're bringing your struggle into the light by talking to a trusted friend about what you're, you're going through. If you remember in the garden, in the story that we read, after they sinned, what'd they do? They sewed little fig leaves and made little fig leaf underwear <laughs> to cover up their nakedness. And why did they, why did they do that? Well, there's two kinds of nakedness. And, and in the physical world, there is the, the naked and unashamed. Not trying to be TMI here, but you're in the shower. No one's around you. Doo, 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 wash your hair, singing. And someone were to break in on you, all of a sudden you're covering everything up because you now know and realize you're naked. You're exposed. Well, when it comes to the inner world of, of nakedness, that's what we call shame. If you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. If you really knew what I struggle with, you wouldn't want to be around me. That's the devil bringing shame into our lives. And, and we want to cover that up. Pretend it's not there. Hey, I'll, I'll be a different person so that you like me rather than being myself. I think it's important that we differentiate between guilt and shame. Guilt leads to remorse, which leads to repentance. So when I feel guilty for my behavior, I can say, Lord, I don't want to be that person. That remorse is actually a good thing. Shame's an identity. Shame takes on our guilt, and it just becomes us. And that's got, Jesus came to remove that shame, our guilt and our shame. And it's important. If you're walking in shame today about just who, shameful of who you are, you need to go to Jesus. He came and, and has promised us that we will never be put to shame, right? That we're, our life's identity does not have to be shame about our past or things that have happened in our lives. Satan uses the fear of rejection to keep us in our struggles. Like if I really tell you or tell a trusted friend, are they going to think you know, well of me still? Will they still relate to me? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you are tempted in the same way that everyone else is tempted. I love that. That levels the playing field. 
for all of us. We're all undergoing temptation on a daily, weekly basis. And what I love about our church is we say you can belong for you before you believe because every single one of us, whether you're not sure whether you believe in Jesus to where you've walked with Jesus for 60 years, we're all in need of that same grace every single day. So there is no who's in or out. It's we're all broken, walking this thing out together and learning how to walk in Jesus together. That's why when we teach up here, it doesn't matter if it's me or anybody else, we're trying to use real-life struggles so that we're not teaching from a place that's up here. You need to change. You need to shape up. No, we all need to shape up, and we realize that as, as we walk through this. It's important that we have that kind of um, culture. And then I love what James 5.16 says. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Here at Novation, we have a lot of ways to be built, have re, build relationships, home groups, connection things. But our ultimate goal is that everyone would be in some sort of core group. And a core group is very organic, where it's three or four guys, three or four ladies, and you meet consistently to share your struggles and pray for one another, your joys, your, your ups, your downs. I'm in a core group. We have been meeting fairly consistently every other Thursday, and I love my guys. They, I, I'm not Pastor Scott in my group. I can be real and not be judged. Oh, you're a pastor. No, yeah, I'm actually just follow Jesus like everybody else, and they don't treat me that way. And I love that because we need to talk, have trusted friends that we can pour our hearts out to and be prayed for and care for one another, lift one another up. Thirdly, to overcome temptation, I need to trust God to help me through it. I need to trust God to help me through it. Ask Him for wisdom. The book of James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He doesn't find fault in us when we ask for wisdom. He pours it out on us. So if you're struggling with temptation, God, please show me. I've got a cool promise for you in a minute that if you will invite him into it. Remember, God's not shocked at our temptation and struggles. We think he's shocked, like, oh, no, this is it. Last straw, Scott, you're done. You're done. I'll take away that Xbox. <coughs> I'll take away your Rockies. How dare you? I mean, we get this silly mindset, right? And he's not shocked. God knows everything. He knows the beginning and the end. He knows that we are frail, he doesn't condemn us. He convicts us. And conviction is a beautiful thing. To be convicted means God is loving you enough to say, hey, stop doing that. Invite Jesus into the struggle. If you're struggling today with some sort of temptation and sin, have you invited Jesus into that mess? Watch what he'll do. He told us to pray, right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He's the ultimate deliverer, and he has delivered us. It's a matter of us participating with him, trusting him in the middle of this. Look at this promise. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But God can be trusted not to let you be tempted too much, and he will show you how to escape from your temptations. 
Titus chapter 2, if you're taking notes, Titus chapter 2 says, the grace of God has appeared to us and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So it's everything is by grace. And so by grace, we overcome temptation. And grace is the power to do what you could never do on your own. And then lastly, in overcoming temptation, I need to train for it. As I said, we have to anticipate this stuff. It's coming. It's not if you're going to be tempted. It's how and when we're going to be tempted. And I know this to be true. Personally, and probably by your experience as well, when your spiritual tank is an emotional tank is filled up with good, the good things, sin doesn't look as shiny, right? As when I'm empty emotionally or I haven't been connecting with the Father in the way that He wants me to. Sin all of a sudden looks real shiny when our tanks are on empty. It's kind of like, um, you know, you go out to a really good meal and you're stuffed. Getting in the car, and I do, I'll do this to Janelle, we're stuffed. You want to go get a pizza? <laughs> like, oh, no, because I'm filled up on good food. You want a Snickers? No, I don't need a Snickers. I'm filled up on good food. Same is true in our inner, inner world as we fill up our spiritual and emotional tanks with the good things of God, sin's not as shiny. So plan ahead. Plan ahead for temptation. Janelle has every one of my passwords, face ID on any device, anything, anytime, computers, whenever she wants to take a look. She doesn't need to, but she can, and it's an incredible accountability. I think Kristen mentioned this last week, like, if we're struggling with something, put the right things in place. And, and if you're married, no secrets. No secrets. You, that's how you, there's forgiveness, and you work towards that mutual caring for one another, mutual accountability. Romans 13, 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Make no provision for the flesh. Somebody who's going to go on a diet, often they'll go through their cupboards and their fridge and they get out all the bad food. So there's nothing, they have not provided for bad food in their, in their diet. Well, the same is true spiritually and in our life. Don't make provision for the flesh. Guard your eyes, guard your heart, guard your mind, guard your path. Like Proverbs 4 is a beautiful proverb about guarding ourselves. That's training for temptation. There's an old Indian proverb I read where this Indian chief had two dogs. One was good, one was bad. And they asked the chief, they said, when the dogs fight, who wins? And he says, the one I feed. The one who's full is the one who wins. And we're told in Scripture that when we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap bad things from sowing to the flesh. When I sow to the Spirit, I'm going to reap the things of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit. The law of sowing and reaping is, if I plant carrot seeds in the ground, I'm not going to get potatoes. I'm going to get carrots. So whatever, whatever we're sowing into our lives, it's going to reap 
the fruit, we can't stop it. And, and we, we tend to sometimes we could, we're sowing to the wrong things and then praying for crop failure. It just doesn't work like that. It's going to show up in our lives. Jesus said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. How true is this? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Who's figured that one out? (laughs) Yes, the flesh is weak. And the quicker we realize that and don't try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps is, Lord, I want to sow to the spirit. I know deep in our hearts we want to, to live the kind of life that's good for us and good for others and that's pleasing to God and trusting Him with our lives. So, here's what I want to do. Very first, if I can have your attention, very first thing is anyone in this room that is dealing with guilt and shame, I want you to give it to Jesus. That's the gospel. Give your guilt, give your shame, come clean. The Lord doesn't condemn us. He'll never cast away a contrite heart, we're told. You'll never find him saying, nope, you did too much. You'll never, you won't find that. He'll give you a fresh start. But when you look at these four things of, that I was talking about, like taking a humble approach towards temptation, talking to a trusted friend, trusting God to get you through it, training for it. Where are you lacking right now, if you were to be honest? Put, that, put it into practice in a way that will allow strength to come into your life. We're going to go back into a song and then we're going to close. This is, I think it's a new song here. But listen to the words and remember the strength of the Lord as we stand together and worship. Amen. Let's stand together. Peace, bring it all to peace. Storm surrounding me, let it break. Had your name still, call the sea to still, the rage in me to still every wave. Had your name, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus.
May God bless each of you with the strength that comes from Him, the strength that comes from the victory of the name of Jesus to resist temptation and to walk in the goodness of the Lord and the fruit of the Spirit. May He give you freedom in your mind, freedom in your heart, freedom in your emotions to walk out His plan, His ways in your life. Lord, we admit we're weak in ourselves, but we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We can live the calling that you've given us because you give us your strength. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.